This morning, the scripture reading is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. 1 Peter 1, verses 1 to 12. And reads, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and a sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be with you in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by, God, by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and, gl expressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that they have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Our series is entitled Resident Aliens. Our text for this morning is the final paragraph that we just heard read, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. And our prayer is, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. I remember that when I first began to prepare to preach these three verses, 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, 14 years ago, I wasn't terribly excited about my text. It just didn't seem at the time that this paragraph was as rich as a lot of 1 Peter but the more I meditated on it, the more I scribbled some thoughts and got ready to break open this section of Scripture, the more excited I got about it. 
And I hope that by the time we're done this morning, you'll feel the same way and that our meditation on this truth will result in enthusiastic praise for the God of our salvation. I'm going to encourage you to have your Bible open and look closely with me line by line. I know I say that often and I wonder sometimes if that goes in one ear and out the other. It is nice to be able to look out and see your eyes, but it's also good to be able to look out and see bowed heads or sometimes people scrolling. Uh, And this week in particular, I'm going to hope that you'll see where I'm getting my ideas, phrase by phrase, from these three verses. 1 Peter 1, verse 10, concerning this salvation, and we'll stop right there. We'll pause right there. This salvation is the salvation that Peter has been talking about in the first nine verses of this epistle. He's talking about how we were guilty in God's court, but God justified us. How we were sick with sin, but God healed us. How we were lost, but God found us. How we were fatherless, but God adopted us. How we were dead in sin, and God made us alive by the new birth, how we were enslaved to the powers of darkness and part of the kingdom of darkness, but God redeemed us. All of that is caught up in this one word, salvation. It's a comprehensive, complex term for all the good that God did, is doing, and has done for us, his people. And we've seen that salvation is multifaceted in other ways. Not only can it be pictured as deliverance, rescue from different kinds of predicaments. But in the salutation of this letter, we saw that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all have a part in our salvation. And we saw in last week's text that there's a past, present, and future aspect to salvation. So that if somebody says, Brother, are you saved? The most accurate answer is, Yes, I've been saved. Yes, I'm being saved, and yes, I will be saved. And I wonder if we appreciate this salvation. I have a hunch that we don't fully appreciate it. Sometimes you don't appreciate what you have until you see it through somebody else's eyes. There are people who've lived their whole life in Colorado and uh, don't think anything about the view of the Rocky Mountains out their living room window until somebody from out of state comes to visit and says, will you look at that? And then they say, yeah, I guess we're lucky to have that view, aren't we? Well, in today's text, Peter invites us to look at our salvation through other eyes, through the eyes of prophets, and angels. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Amos, and the rest of them, and not only those whose writings have survived and become part of Scripture and have their names attached to them, but many others under the Old Covenant who spoke Some of them named in the Bible, even though we don't have their writings, and some of them forgotten. They were preachers. They spoke, Peter says. Spoke of the grace that was to come to you. And as preachers, 
their messages had primarily to do with their own time and circumstances. They spoke to their original listeners about their situation, but often the prophets spoke about things to come. And so Peter says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you. Grace. Pause there for a moment. And reflect on God's incredible, amazing, undeserved favor to you and to me. That's grace. Now, I have heard, and maybe you have as well, an illustration of sacrifice that comes from the movie Saving Private Ryan. Um, I would give a spoiler alert, except the movie's been around for so long that probably most people have seen it. There is a scene, a climactic scene in that movie where the, the hero, played by Tom Hanks, is mortally wounded and Private Ryan bends over the dying character who says, earn this. Earn this. Illustration of extreme sacrifice. Well, I read a different twist on the story. This one written by a pastor who was a former army ranger. He writes, Everyone in the theater was crying because Tom Hanks was shot. I was crying because of what he said. It was terrible. Earn this, he said. The reason that made me angry is that no ranger would ever say, earn this. For the past 200 years, the ranger motto has been, sua sponte, I chose this. I volunteered for this. If Hanks was really a ranger, he would have said, sua sponte, in other words, this is free. You don't pay anything for this. I give up my life for you. Jesus the crucified does not say to you and to me, earn this. He says, I give this to you. I lay down my life for you. That's grace. That's the grace that Peter is writing about and that the prophets talked about. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you. This free favor, this free grace from God is something the prophets looked forward to and said it's for a future generation. At least to some extent they grasped that. They realized that one day God's grace would be experienced on a scale never before seen. They realized that God's covenant promises would be fulfilled and that his kingdom would come someday. And then Jesus came saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is near. And Peter and Jesus' other disciples realized that they were privileged to live in the time of fulfillment long foretold by the prophets. Does that make us appreciate our salvation anymore? <laughs> to realize that for centuries, these giants of the biblical story who heard directly from God, who spoke powerfully for God, were talking about what you and I would someday enjoy. 
Now, they didn't fully understand it. Peter says, they searched intently and with the greatest care. How did Peter know that? Jesus told him. In Matthew 13, Jesus says to his followers, I tell you the truth that many prophets longed to see what you see and didn't see it. Longed to hear what you've heard and didn't hear it. Oh, they heard, to be sure, from God about things to come, but they didn't grasp the full import of their prophecies. And nor did they know the who, what, when, where, how, and why. Uh, Peter's language in the next phrase is hard to translate. I'm just going to stick with the NIV, which says, they searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances time and the circumstances of the fulfillment of their prophecies. Jeremiah spoke of a new covenant that God would make with people that would be superior to the former covenant, but he didn't know how or when that would all come into place. Isaiah spoke about a Gentile, or a Gent, I'm sorry, the suffering servant. Isaiah spoke about the suffering servant of the Lord, but he did not know that the suffering servant was going to be God incarnate. You and I do know that. The prophets spoke of Gentile inclusion in the people of God, but had no idea that Gentiles could come into the fold simply by faith without having to obey the Mosaic Code. Well, we do know that now. The prophets foresaw that God's people would inherit the promised land, but... They didn't realize that God's people would inherit the earth and the new heavens. We do realize that. So view your salvation through the eyes of the prophets and you may come to a fresh appreciation of its inestimable value. They tried to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing, and pause there, to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. Prophets were not just unusually shrewd observers of their times and could see which way the wind was blowing. No, the Spirit of Christ was in them. Prophets were not lucky guessers whose Predictions were vague enough that occasionally they would be sure to get it right. Like the ancient oracle who was consulted by a military commander who was trying to figure out whether he should go into battle or not. The oracle said, go and a great general will be defeated. And the man took that as a positive. He went into battle and got trounced. He came back to complain to the seer who said, well, you are a great general, and you were defeated. <laughs> no, the prophets were enabled to see and predict some of the future because of the Holy Spirit within. In his second letter, 2 Peter chapter 1, the apostle writes that the holy men of God 
did not originate their message, but they spoke as men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And what did the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in them, predict? Well, Peter says, the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Suffering, verse 11. Now, where did we hear that word recently? Oh, yeah, last week in verse 6, where Peter says, you may have to suffer, Christian. Peter, more than any other New Testament document, treats the sufferings of Christ as a pattern and model for our suffering. Now, Peter, to be sure, like all New Testament writers, understood that Christ's sufferings were unique. He died in our place. His sufferings were substitutionary. But Peter says his sufferings were also exemplary. We learn from him how to suffer for God's glory, how to suffer even living in submission to those who make us suffer. Well, there will be more on that later in our series. For now, notice the pattern of suffering first, followed by glory. It's the cross and then the crown. Peter didn't always get that. He didn't always realize that. We read in the Gospels that when Jesus began to teach his disciples that death was his destiny, that he was headed toward the cross, Peter spoke up and said, No, Lord, no, that'll never happen to you. And our Lord rebuked him in a dramatic scene portrayed on the stage in our Passion Play with the harshest words that Jesus spoke to any of his followers. Peter had to come to realize that the Messiah would have to suffer before he was glorified. And his readers were suffering too. Not yet full-blown state persecution. That would come. But as resident aliens, people who lived in the Roman Empire, but who really didn't belong, their primary citizenship was elsewhere, as resident aliens, they were marginalized, discriminated against. We might say that their Christian professors couldn't get tenure because they held to intelligent design. We might say that their Christian businessmen were not offered the opportunity to bid on jobs because they didn't believe in kickbacks. We might say that their Christian pharmacists couldn't get employment because they wouldn't write prescriptions for abortifacients. We might say that their Christian kids would go to school and get mocked because of their parents' benighted, out-of-step beliefs. Hang in there, Peter says. Suffering may come, but then glory. Glory. The glories that would follow the end of verse 11. Suffering came to Jesus, but then glory. For him, resurrection, ascension to a position of honor at the Father's right hand, the sending of the Holy Spirit to his people, the expansion of the world Christian movement all throughout the globe, glory. And for Jesus' followers, it would mean participation in that and an inheritance, as we saw in last week's text, kept in heaven for you 
Verse 7, praise, honor, and glory when Jesus Christ is revealed. What a shot of adrenaline for weary, suffering Christians who might otherwise take their salvation for granted. There's glory coming. Verse 12, it was revealed to them. Revealed to them. Forty-four times in the New Testament we find this verb and its related noun, and in every case it's God doing the revealing, never a human being. God makes something known that we wouldn't otherwise know. And uh, he did not reveal everything to the prophets, but he did reveal that they were not serving themselves, but you. Somehow, at some level, these giants, the preaching prophets of the Old Covenant, understood that their ministry was to you and to me. As to Peter's first readers, to some future generation, was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but us. Courageous Jeremiah, poetic Isaiah, visionary Daniel, God-entranced Ezekiel, gutsy Amos, all these figures were serving us. Isn't that just a little bit encouraging? <laughs> At the end of this letter, Peter says, I've wrote, written to encourage you. How encouraging was it, do you think, to see their salvation through the eyes of the prophets and realize that all of this marvelous centuries-old output of the prophets was for us resident aliens. We'll move a little more quickly through the rest of verse 12 because I want to get to the angels. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you. Uh, the ministry of the prophets was passed on to the preachers of the early church, the evangelists and teachers who brought them the gospel. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you, by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent for heaven. The, the same Spirit that was in them, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, now empowers the church's ministers, even angels long to look into these things. Even angels, holy curiosity. I almost said holy curiosity, Batman. Um, holy curiosity. Angels who are so fascinating to us are fascinated by us. And what God has done, is doing, and will do for us. In Hebrews chapter 1, we read that angels are ministering spirits, ministering to us human beings. In Luke 15, we read that the angels rejoice when a sinner repents, but they don't fully get what's going on in the gospel. In Mark 13, we're told that the angels don't know when Jesus will come again, 
God doesn't consult with the angels. He doesn't need their advice. Perhaps he chooses to tell them some things in advance, but not everything, so that they can be surprised and experience novelty. J.B. Phillips captures that possibility in a piece called The Visited Planet. I have read this occasionally at Christmas time, but it fits 1 Peter 1.12. Once upon a time, a very young angel was being shown the splendors and glories of the universe by a senior experienced angel. As the two of them drew near to the star which we call our sun and to its circling planets, the senior angel pointed to a small and rather insignificant sphere. It looked as dull as a dirty tennis ball to the little angel whose mind was filled with the size and glory of what he had already seen. I want you to watch that one particularly, said the senior angel, pointing his finger. Well, it looks very small and rather dirty to me, said the little angel. What's special about that one? That, replied his senior solemnly, is the visited planet. Visited, said the little one. You don't mean visited by... Indeed I do. That ball, which I have no doubt looks to you small and insignificant and not perhaps over clean, has been visited by our young prince of glory. And at that he bowed his head reverently. But how, asked the younger one, do you mean that our great and glorious prince, with all these wonders and splendors of his creation, and millions more that I'm sure I haven't seen yet, went down in person to this fifth-rate little ball? Why would he do a thing like that? It isn't for us said his senior a little stiffly, to question his whys, except that I must point out to you that he is not impressed by size and numbers as you seem to be, but that he really went, I know. And all of us in heaven who know anything know that. As to why he became one of them, how else do you suppose he could visit them? The little angels face wrinkled in disgust. Do you mean to tell me that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures of that floating ball? I do. And I don't think he would like you to call them creeping, crawling creatures in that tone of voice, for strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. He went down to visit them and to lift them up to become like him. The little angel looked blank. Such a thought was almost beyond his comprehension. And then the senior angel told how the prince of glory was killed. The fools, the crazy fools, they don't deserve... Neither do you or I, interrupted the senior angel. Nor any other angel knows why they were so foolish and so wicked, nor can we say what they deserve and don't deserve, but the fact remains, they killed our Prince of Glory while he was man amongst them. But he conquered death. The thing most of them dread and fear all their lives, he broke 
and conquered. He rose again, and a few of them saw him, and from then on became his utterly devoted slaves. Oh, thank God for that, said the little angel. Amen. Open your eyes now and watch. And as they looked, there was a bright glow which throbbed and pulsated, and then as the earth turned many times, little points of light spread out. A few flickered and died, but for the most part, the lights burned steadily, and as they continued to watch, in many parts of the globe, there was a glow over many areas. You see what's happening now, said the senior angel? The bright glow is the company of loyal, young, uh, loyal men and women that he left behind. And with his help, they spread the glow, and now light begins to shine all over the earth. Yes, yes, said the little angel impatiently, but how, how does it end? Will the little lights all join up with each other? Will it all be light as it is in heaven? His senior shook his head. We simply do not know, he replied. It is in the Father's hands. Sometimes it is agony to watch, and sometimes it is joy unspeakable. The end is not yet, but now I'm sure you can see why this little ball is so important. He is working out his plan on it. You and I enjoy a salvation that intrigues and tantalizes prophets and angels. You get that? You and I enjoy a salvation that intrigues and tantalizes prophets and angels. That to me is something to sing about. 